kick off episode 284 of Monster Kid Radio with this take on the theme song from the TV show The Monsters. It's from the band Mingo Music. They're based out of Madrid, Spain, and I found them on Bandcamp. Look up Mingo Music, the K at the end, .bandcamp.com. This is on the album OK Bones. You can check it out after you're done listening to this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton here on Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here because we're going to talk about Frankenstein, one of my favorite monsters. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I'm not going to just talk about my experiences with Frankenstein. No, I put the call out to a number of friends and authors to call in about their thoughts on Frankenstein as well. Sharing their memories, or as in the case of a handful of these authors, telling us about some stories that they've got coming up in the upcoming anthology, Eternal Frankenstein, from the publishing company Word Horde. You can find out about them over at wordhorde.com. Again, when you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Before we get to Frankenstein, though, we have a little bit of feedback about last week's episode. Hello, Derek. Joe Lydon here. Just finished listening to your latest episode, number 283, on the giant spider invasion. You know, this is one I had seen, and i got to admit, I really didn't care for it. Uh, it was just a little bit too goofy for me, and I don't know if it was Alan Hale, because I just see the skipper every time I look at it, and I, I didn't think that the spider was very convincing, but... Um, like I've always said, though, when you guys talk about a movie, discuss a movie, and it's one that I had seen or hadn't seen in a long time or had seen and didn't like and didn't care if I saw again, if you make me want to go back and check it out, that's a successful podcast. And I am definitely going to go check out Giant Spider Invasion. I have it on DVD somewhere, so I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to sitting through that. And what I may do is, and I do this sometimes, is I'll actually listen to your show while I'm watching the film. And sometimes I'll stop listen i'll stop the podcast watch the movie for a little while then turn it back on while i'm watching it so i i'm looking forward to doing that this weekend and i'm going to check i'm definitely going to give giant spider invasion another look based on your discussion of it on the show so another great episode i tried to trim that voicemail a little bit because joe does continue in one of the frankenstein voicemails i'm going to be playing here in a little bit joe is the producer of the podcast fandom radio podcast you can find him at fandom radio podcast podbean.com or look him up on iTunes. Check it out. Joe, thank you so much. You know, I'm flattered. I, I really am. Um, you know, what we try to do here on the show, me and every guest that I've had on, even a movie that's a little questionable in spots, you know, I really want to try to promote that movie and find the things that are fun. Find the things that make me smile. And the giant spider invasion, for all its faults, man, I just love that movie. I really do. I am looking forward to going back and revisiting that Blu-ray again, and it's just a treat. I mean, it really is. It's kind of true, but it's a treat. I love it. And that you are watching the movies while an episode of MPR is playing, but that's just kind of cool. In fact, I would love to be able to do like audio commentaries, that sort of thing, for some of these movies that haven't received like a special feature treatment maybe some public domain horror movies uh, maybe put those out on dvd someday with an mkr commentary track that'd be kind of neat right listeners you tell me if that's something you'd like to see i, I guess here uh, if you want to leave me a voicemail like joe did you can always call us on our voicemail line it's 503-4795-MKR or you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com i'll go over that again at the end of the episode Okay, I have so much to talk about, so much to share when it comes to Frankenstein, and so did all of my friends, so we're going to get into that. I'm going to sprinkle in a handful of trailers and radio promos as well, because we just can't get enough Frankenstein. That's all going to happen right after this. Paramount Pictures presents a dual, ghoul, double, scream show. Scream number one. Frankenstein and the monster from hell. See the eeriest transplant in the history of horror. His brain came from a genius. His body from a killer. His soul came from hell. It's the newest and most frightening Frankenstein ever filmed. Scream number two. Captain Kronos, vampire hunter. The only man alive feared by the walking dead. Born the night creatures and the black Captain Kronos is here! Frankenstein and the monster from hell. 
Plus, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, All Shock. In color, both rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Now scream! Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Should I have said Hammer Pants? 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Drink from this eye, this all-seeing eye. Hide from these hands, these powerful hands. Run from the horror, the ultimate horror of Frankenstein. Prepare yourself for a new Frankenstein. Searing the screen with excitement. A young Frankenstein, experimenting with the forbidden secret of life itself, molding his most terrifying creation. We're going to make a person. One of the first things we're going to need is the raw material. But fresh, mind you. Nothing more than three days old. Anything I bring you will be so fresh. Get past the government meat inspector. Alice, she's my housekeeper. I hope she can cook. People just aren't dying off so quick. <laughs> it's the welfare state. That's what it is. Frankenstein is back to raise the dead, to terrorize the living. Masters of Suspense offer you a shocking bargain. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Looking forward to the Frankenstein episodes. I really am. And you asked about some of our favorite Frankensteins. And you know, this may sound strange, but um, you know, I love the Karloff version like everybody else does. But he may not be my favorite, though. They may be some of my favorite Frankenstein movies, but he may not be my favorite. In 1973, there was a, an American and British co-production. It was called Frankenstein the True Story. And I believe it ran over the course of two, maybe three nights. Michael Sarazen played the monster. And... I think he may be my favorite. It's a totally different take on the whole monster creature thing that I really liked. 
and it's got a lot of stars in it, man. You got James Mason is in it, David McCallum is in it, John Gilgood, Ralph Richardson, Jane Seymour has a huge part in it. Tom Baker shows up in it. So I think that may be my favorite. This is worth checking out. This is a pretty good movie. Now, I have it on DVD. I think I might have an edited version. It's not heavily edited, but I believe it is chopped off. I think it's the only one that's available. Now, it's not heavily edited. It's still very watchable, very enjoyable. But I think it ran over two nights in a two-hour block on one of the networks. And I think it's a little short on my DVD anyway, so I think it might be edited. Anyway, it's worth checking out. So I think I'm going to go with uh, Michael Sarazen and Frankenstein, The True Story. I'm definitely going to go back and check that one out again soon, too, because uh, when I got the DVD, I think I've only seen it once since I purchased the DVD a few years back. But uh, And I got, I think, a close second. I think De Niro did a great job as the monster. So I'm gonna, and, and, and Kenneth Branagh did a really good job directing that movie. I liked his version of Frankenstein, and I think De Niro's version of the creature is probably a close second. I really did like that that uh, portrayal. I like the way he played it, but uh, yeah, those are my picks, so uh, looking forward to the discussion on Frankenstein. Um, take care, Derek. Bye. Hey, Derek, this is Chris McMillan. I'm sorry for the late call, or late MP3 as it is, but I've been working busy getting ready for the most wonderful time of the year here under the shadow of our Portland. That's right, Halloween season. But you mentioned something about favorite Frankensteins on the last Monster Kid radio. And, and well, you were playing Young Frankenstein's trailer when you were talking about that. And that brought up a story I have about my favorite Frankenstein film and Young Frankenstein. It was back in the early 80s. I was living in my parents' house. I think I was just home from college for a little while before going back. And it was late Saturday night, and I was watching my favorite Frankenstein movie, Bride of Frankenstein, on KATU Channel 2's Creature Feature, which they used to run at that time. Saturday nights, 11.30. Had to look that up. Sorry for the pause. Anyway... Um, My mother worked labor and delivery on swing shift at Best Kaiser, and sometimes her and one of her friends who lived, uh, you know, a couple miles down the road from us would stop by after the shift to kind of unwind and relax. Um, Because let's be honest, labor and delivery is not one of those things where you just go home and go, oh, I'm so relaxed, I'm going to bed. Anyway, they showed up about the time... That Frankenstein was wandering through the woods. And, you know, they come by, and my mom's like, oh, God, what are you watching? And I'm like, Bride of Frankenstein, it's a classic. And as the monster is heading for the old hermit's door, and, and he's playing on his fiddle, my mom's friend goes, this looks really familiar. I'm like, oh, you've seen this movie before. No, I've never seen, oh, my gosh. It's just like young Frankenstein. Like, yeah. And so as the hermit scene plays out, she and I start giggling and then go into full-blown laughter because we're kind of quoting the young Frankenstein movie over The Bride of Frankenstein. I know... I know that sounds terrible because The Bride of Frankenstein is such a classic movie. It is so good. It does not deserve to be laughed at, but I I don't know why. Maybe Young Frankenstein just came out on on VHS. Yeah, it was the 80s. Or maybe it was just playing on TV. You know, TV stations like uh, ABC, CBS, and NBC used to show regular movies. Uh, They don't anymore as much. Anyway, yes, we were laughing over the hermit scene in The Bride of Frankenstein. And my mother, who First of all, doesn't really like horror films, and second of all, doesn't like slapstickish comedy, is looking at us going, you are both insane. Yeah, that's kind of one of my favorite Frankenstein stories. Um, you know, I do love Young Frankenstein because while it's making, it's having fun with the movies, not making fun of the movies, and I do love watching Peter Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein in all the Hammer films. And I, you know, I do love the monster in all his incarnations. But for some reason, The Bride of Frankenstein 
is my favorite. I mean, I could watch that over and over again. It's just amazing. Karloff is really at his best, and James Whale just just goes past 10, goes past 11, and just cranks it up to a 12 with his direction. I mean, you can watch everything that's happening in that movie, all the imagery, all the, the, the flair, the creations of Pretorius. I mean, those effects are so good, and they hold up so well. Yeah, it's my favorite Frankenstein. It's the one I can't stop gushing about. But I better stop because I have to get back to The Shadow Over Portland. That's my website where I'm listing all the great Halloween events happening around the Pacific Northwest. And I'm already way behind. Um, I just keep finding more and more screenings, more plays. I can't stop doing that stuff. I have to, I can't get to the corn mazes. I haven't had time to look at all the haunted houses. Um there's just so much going on, and um, if you don't mind a shameless plug here, stop by shadowoverportland.blogspot.com and check it out, because I'll be listing everything I can find. And believe me, there's a lot. So anyway, happy Halloween to everyone out there. It's a little early, I know, but still, have a great spooky season, and talk to you all later. Bye. It's coming from the deep dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Sky means business. Ah! Young Frankenstein. Oh dear, nothing left. What shall we throw in now? Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. But what about your grandfather's work, sir? My grandfather's work was doo-doo! Peter Boyle as the monster. Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Loris Leachman as Frau Blucher. You played that music in the middle of the night. Yes. To get us into the laboratory. Yes. And it was you who left my grandfather's book out for me to find. Yes. So that I would. Yes. Then you and Victor were. Say it. He was. My boyfriend! Terry <laughs> Gar as Inga. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Kenneth Mars as the inspector. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Where am I? <laughs> Calm down. What are you going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Listen, I, I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Kill the monster! Storm the castle! It's midnight! See Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks, in black and white. No offense. The one, the only, King of Monsters brings you the Demon of the Atomic Age. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, 1970 carrying on the hideous experiments of his infamous ancestor. In this stone sarcophagus, deep in the bulls of the earth, he buried his creature, his creation. Frankenstein, 1970. In the hell pit of his centuries-old castle, he perverts the terrifying wonders of nuclear science. Let me get you some eyes. 
to unleash a horror beyond all imagination. What kind of dealings do you have with the director of the morgue? Are you interested in corpses? Even the cyclotron concealed in his subterranean vaults cannot complete his foul creation, for which he must have throbbing vital organs transplanted from living beings. Two people are missing, and I want to know why they haven't come back. Mr. Rowe, I imagine, would have us suspect foul play. Chris Karloff as Frankenstein, 1970. Frankenstein once again brings terror and nightmare to the screen in Lady Frankenstein. Joseph Cotton is Baron Frankenstein. But what in his face? Devil with his face, I don't care what he looks like. I want him to live. Sarah Bay is Lady Frankenstein. That is what they called your father's life's work, a monster. And they're right. They are not right. She's beautiful. She's evil. And she'll do anything for love. Would you like to have my body bend to you? Would you like to make love to me? She creates a new, more terrifying monster. And only the monster she creates can satisfy her strange desires. Using her beauty and her scalpel, she cuts deeply into men's hearts. Yes, you're right. Kill it. There has never been a movie like Lady Frankenstein. Rated R. Hits. Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror, a monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein, incarnate with the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, also on the same program. Tarzan, man of the jungle, with only a lion, a leopard, and a chimp as his army, can they conquer the hired killers of the dealer in death? Cy Weintraub presents Tarzan and the Valley of Gold. With Mike Henry and Nancy Kovac in Panavision and Color from American International Pictures. Hey, Derek, this is Jeffrey Owens from ClassicHorrors.club. 
For me, there's always a debate between Frankenstein the man and Frankenstein the monster. That would also mean a debate between Peter Cushing the actor in Hammer's Frankenstein series and Boris Karloff and others in Universal's Frankenstein series. I think Universal usually wins out for me in the end. I love the attempted continuity between films and how each one begins where the previous one ends, based on how the monster was supposedly destroyed. Discovering the remains of the Frankenstein monster is the consistent thread through the course of the entire franchise. Of the franchise, my favorites keep changing. Right now, it's Son of Frankenstein. I really enjoy the look and style of that one. But I think the first one I actually saw was Ghost of Frankenstein. Or at least I saw parts of it as I tried to stay awake as a young boy whose parents allowed him to stay up past midnight to watch it on a Friday night. I first saw it and many other classic monster movies on a show with a horror host out of Oklahoma City, Count Gregor. Frankenstein is my favorite monster. His, or its, story is so compelling and enduring. I wrote my final college English paper on Mary Shelley's novel in 1985. I've been meaning to dig that up lately, much like an unsuspecting character might dig up the monster's body in any number of universal classics. Thanks for letting me sh- keep doing the great work you do on Monster Kid Radio. Hey, this is Rod from the Cast and the Bloody Pit. I am calling in response to the uh, Frankenstein episode or uh, in anticipation of said episode. And uh, I just wanted to say that everybody's going to have something to say about Frankenstein and the various movies and things like that, maybe even the original novel. But I wanted to point to a, a less well-known aspect of Frankenstein in fiction, and that is a kind of unofficial sequel to the original novel. Uh, it's by Fred Saberhagen. and it was published whew, probably 40 years ago. It's called The Frankenstein Papers. Now, Fred Saberhagen was a was a science fiction and uh, occasionally horror writer who uh, worked for a very long time. And as a matter of fact, he may still be working today, but I would have to check on that. But I read a lot of his books when I was younger, and the Frankenstein papers ended up in my hands because at the time I was reading a lot of Fred Saberhagen's Dracula novels because he started a series of Dracula novels that were absolutely fantastic. Uh, his first one was called The Dracula Tape. Well, the Frankenstein papers is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's original novel, and it's very it's written in a very similar style to Shelley's novel, so it's really great to read the original and then read the Frankenstein papers, and they flow together really, really well. Um, the book picks up right after the events at the end of the novel with uh, the monster trapped in the far north, and he finds the captain's log from the abandoned ship, the Argo, and then uh, he begins writing down his side of the story to kind of be beside the tale told by Dr. Frankenstein. It's absolutely fascinating. If you like uh, the original Frankenstein novel, this is a really great follow-up. Now, uh warn you, it goes into a very interesting direction near the end. Uh, it's revelation about how exactly did Victor Frankenstein manage to reanimate a dead body is quite interesting. And uh, some people may not like it, but I found it absolutely fascinating. So a little unknown or lesser-known area of uh, Frankensteinian novels or connected books, The Frankenstein Papers by Fred Saberhagen, well worth your time. They have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color. Rated GP. Hey, Derek, this is Steve Sullivan, author of the Scribe Award-winning Manos, The Hands of Fate. Can you believe it? The worst movie in the world is now an award-winning book. Anyway, Frankenstein. Interesting thing about Frankenstein is that there really haven't been 
many, if any, movie adaptations that have actually followed the story in the book. And the story in the book is really good. And uh, perhaps ironically, or at least, you know, kind of weirdly, Classics Illustrated comic book was actually much closer to the actual book, Frankenstein, than any of the movies have been, with the possible exception of the one that has John Hurt in it, and I think was a Hallmark miniseries originally on TV, which was actually quite close. Anyway... My favorite Frankenstein, if we're talking about the monster, then it's clearly Karloff. The three Karloff films are so good, it's hard to choose among them. Each has its its uh, own special qualities that make it a standout. Uh, the first one obviously has the originality and just the sheer mania of it. The second one is just wacky and has a lot of wonderful things in it, including the monster talking. And the third one, Igor and Karloff, in a great pairing of Karloff and Lugosi, perhaps surpassed only by the Black Cat and maybe the Raven, and uh, there might be one I'm slipping my mind. Anyway, so Karloff, for the monster itself, for Dr. Frankenstein, it's clearly Peter Cushing. Now, the, the strange thing about the Hammer Frankensteins, and I know this is kind of sacrilegious, I never really liked the monsters in them. I mean, the Chris Lee monster in the first one was good, but the monsters in the rest of them always kind of disappointed me as a viewer. And so, because of that, my favorite one is actually Frankenstein Created Woman, which is kind of a twist on the Hammer formula. It has the advantage of having a beautiful woman in it. Anyway, those are kind of my thoughts on the classic Frankensteins. I know there there are plenty of others, including uh, Peter Boyle and uh, Young Frankenstein, which is a wonderful film. But those are the ones off the top of my head, and I know that the three-minute limit on this is tight. So have a good one. Happy Monster Kid Radio. Talk to you soon. Hi, Derek. This is Alan Trump from St. Louis calling in for your uh, Frankenstein tribute show. Hey, of course, the Universal Frankensteins are going to get most of the love, and deservedly so, but I have a special place in my heart for all the more low-budget, I guess, Frankensteins, you know, everything from the damaged astral robot in Frankenstein meets the space monster to the, the turtle-necked Ferenxalan monster resurrected by aliens in Assignment Terror, and even the mustachioed Frankenstein in Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters. But the one that really piques my interest is Frankenstein that kind of never really materialized on screen. When he's talking about his role as a victim in Dracula versus Frankenstein, Forrest Ackerman in one documentary, I think it was Drive in Madness, he mentions that he told the people when he wanted him to be in, in the park, okay, can't be too physically demanding because he's like broken a rib or had some sort of surgery or something. And they said, don't worry about that, because in our film, Frankenstein has been bitten by Dracula and has been turned into a vampire. So basically, he's just going to fang you to death. So the movie came about, and uh, Dracula winds up, you know, grappling him and grabbing him and stuff. It seemed a lot, lot, uh, lot more physical than just a bite on the neck. But that element of a vampire Frankenstein never really finally made it to the final cut of the film, and that's something I was always curious and always wanted to see. And of course, uh, Ackman also mentioned that the director forgot to yell cut, so he was lying there on the ground for Lord knows how long, trying not to breathe, until finally somebody came over to check on him. Anyway, I guess that's one of my favorite Frankenstein memories. Hey, hope everything is going good. Have a very good week, and uh, best to all the monster kids out there. Take care. Do your eyes dare witness total terror. Frankenstein meets the space monster. For the first time on the screen, America's missile might mobilized against annihilating invaders from outer space. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. See the kidnapping of the Earth Maidens for the love-starved slaves of the sterile planet. Very good. We have done well, Nadia. I am pleased, Princess. You are satisfied. I will be satisfied when we have enough more like her to commence phase three. (laughs) 
terrifying invasion of the Beach Party. A United States astro-robot become a creature of death. For the first time, see Earth horror versus space terror. Frankenstein meets the space monster in Futurama. Hello, Derek and Monster Kid Radio. This is Frank Schildener calling in. Uh, glad to hear you're doing a special on the Frankenstein monster and the whole series. Probably the best thing in my life, I know that, in terms of monsters. As I've spoken online to you, I wrote The Quest of Frankenstein for Black Coat Press. And uh, I also wrote a sequel to it that is coming out of the March Black Oak Press called The Triumph of Frankenstein. So I'm kind of involved with the character. My first memories are reading the book, and I saw the series, as I told you once, I saw the series as a kid at a library. They played the Universal series all in one shot. So to me, the names really didn't matter. It was like a big, sprawling epic. So it was kind of a cool way to see it. Um, and I then followed that with Dracula versus Frankenstein, creature feature, goofiest, awfulest, most awesome movies ever made. And then the Hammer Horror versions of them, which I saw sporadically over the course of time until obviously video came out, video making it much more accessible. Uh, as to the, the favorite Frankenstein, well, obviously Boris Karloff, but me, there was nothing that could prepare to Karloff's work. And he demonstrated through, when he was working with Whale, the pathos of the character as well as the really terrifying aspects. Just when he walks in at that one moment from the shadows, it's just something alien about him, the way he looked and the way he moved. It was just magnificent work. Great makeup, great acting, awesome writing. And uh, other monsters of the Frankenstein variety that I always like, Christopher Lee, very good version. <laughs> Frankenstein Jr., the cartoon. Got love that one, even though that really wasn't Frankenstein. It was just a robot, but still very cool stuff. The Kaiju Frankenstein in two movies always had a Loved that, as I've told you about it. And the very strange Frankenstein from the Luchador films, which you know it had to come up. That's one thing, Derek, you and I always talk about is Luchador films. Anyway, Frankenstein will always be to me one of the greatest monsters ever. And I hope to see more of you and, and him in the future. Thank you very much. Hey, Derek, this is Rich the Monster Movie Kid. I am calling in with my thoughts on Frankenstein. Boy, ever since I was a kid, you know, the Universal Monster Flicks were the very first uh, Monster Flicks that I saw back in the 70s and those early pre-cable days. We didn't get very many channels, but our local ABC station would play the Universal Monster Flicks. So the classic Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein were the very first Monster Flicks that I saw alongside of uh, Dracula with Bela Lugosi. So when it comes to favorite Frankenstein flick, i got to say Bride of Frankenstein with the original Frankenstein right beneath it are my two favorites, simply because I've been watching those ever since I was probably about six or seven years old. Now, of course, I, I had the Power Records Monster of Frankenstein, which was my first exposure to the Marvel comics that I would pick up many years later and have the entire Monster of Frankenstein or Frankenstein Monster uh, set from Marvel Comics. I absolutely love those. And, uh, of course, you know, I, I loved Paul McComas's book, uh, Paul McComas and Greg Serrett's. Got to give both authors proper credit. Fit for a Frankenstein was such a fun little extra piece in the universal monster lore. I really loved it. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, to, to Frankenstein, the more modern films, I remember vividly getting the, you know, Channel 17 WTCG out of Atlanta 
on our cable system. And, of course, that eventually became Superstation TBS. But when we got Channel 17, of course, they would play the Hammer films all the time. And so that was my first exposure to Peter Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein. And so uh, nothing better than Curse and Revenge of Frankenstein, those first couple of films from the from the Hammer Film Library. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Stein would like to see you in his laboratory. So what brings you to California? Well, I just arrived from New York. My fiance was wounded in Vietnam. And the doctors there wrote and told me he was being transferred to the veterans hospital here. He was seriously wounded when a landmine went off under him. Eddie, this is Dr. Stein. The doctor I studied with when I was in school. Now, tell me once again, Eddie, what do you feel? That was my middle finger. That's correct.
Peter Legosi in the House of Doom, and the Vampire's Tomb Mystery. My personal recollection of Frankenstein, I remember I was five years old, and my mother made certain that I would see the original Frankenstein when it first premiered on television. I had to get up past my bedtime, and there I was, watching Boris Karloff for the first time, walking backward into the room and giving us that classic look, that look of Frankenstein's monster, the one that others imitate, but no one has ever gotten quite the way he did. Yes, indeed. And I also remember seeing Glenn Strange in Abaddon Costello meet Frankenstein, and then House of Frankenstein. I remember we had this television show that would show the same movie on Long Island five days a week. And I always look forward to coming home after school and seeing, like, House of Dracula with the Frankenstein monster in the mud and then talking about, oh, gosh, it was just such a wonderful experience of being able to see the same movie for five days in a row. This was before they had video. This was before they had the Internet. This was before YouTube. And we got to see the same show five weeks in a row. And that's how we saw some of our Frankenstein movies. So, yes, my memories of Frankenstein, very vivid, very black and white. And since then, I've also read the Mary Shelley novel many, many times. Yes, not quite the same, but uh, Frankenstein, always a classic. And, of course, nobody beats Boris Karloff. So thank you, and Derek, back to you. Thanks, Dwight. You know, I tried to sit down and put all of my thoughts and all of my memories about Frankenstein down in one place, and I'm going to do my best. So hopefully I can get it all in. There's just so much to think about when it comes to talking about Frank, or the other way around, so much to talk about when it comes to thinking about Frank. You know what? I'm overthinking this. Anyway. What kicked all this off was that last week, actually, I guess it would be a little over a week ago now, August 30th was touted as National Frankenstein Day on a handful of different websites. Now, October 29th and the last Friday of October is also mentioned as being National Frankenstein Day or International Frankenstein Day. What is the real Frankenstein Day? Well, does it really matter? I mean, as a monster kid, I'm pretty sure that not a day goes by that I don't think about Frankenstein. Now, as soon as the subject of movies come up, in pretty much any conversation, I'm bound to bring up 1954's Creature from the Black Lagoon as my favorite film. Now, that said, Frankenstein's monster, or creature, depending on which studio's films you're watching, looms large in my personal pantheon of favorite fixtures of fright. In the 1980s, sometime in junior high school, I first read the original novel by Mary Shelley, whose birthday was August 30th, which is the reason why some folks called that National Frankenstein Day. At that time, I had already known the story of Frankenstein as told by the Universal Films. I knew the names Boris Karloff, Dwight Fry, and company, originally thanks to those Crestwood House Monsters series books that I checked out over and over and over and over and over and over again from the library. I loved those books, and I didn't care that they spoiled the films for me one bit. Not that little Derek back then had any idea what a spoiler was. Now, my first Frankenstein on-screen exposure didn't happen courtesy of a Universal film. Instead, I'm positive it was through reruns of The Monsters. Now, I can't say for sure when I first saw an episode of that TV show, and it's not like I've gone back to rewatch any of them in quite some time. However, I'm certain the show had a pretty big impact on me, up to today even, considering the kind of music that I like to play on Monster Kid Radio and the music from the opening credits of The Monsters, kind of having that surfy-ish type vibe. And I can't tell you how much fun it was for me to be sitting in the car with my wife not too long ago, and a song came on popular radio in which the theme from the Munsters is actually sampled into the song. The song's called Uma Thurman. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Munsters, but that is there, and it was in a top 100 Billboard song last year. I mean, come on. That's a win for the Monster Kids, as far as I'm concerned. Now, as far as the films go, I was in grade school when I first saw any of the Universal Ovoir. Over? Ovra. Ovar? Ovra? You know, I could never pronounce that word. I always read it. But anyway, 
I didn't see any of those movies until grade school. I would have been 10 or 11 years old, and I was at my friend Bobby's house at what I assume was a weekend afternoon, probably during the summer, although it might have been during the fall, considering what was on TV. The animated opening titles of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein came on the television screen, and I recognized the silhouette shapes of Frankenstein's monster immediately, as well as those of the other monsters. But it wasn't until the movie itself started that I realized I was about to watch my first honest-to-goodness universal monster movie. And I'm sure I drove Bobby and his father nuts by talking throughout the entire film, relaying everything I'd learned about the various previous monster movies from the Crestwood House books. Now, of course, over the years, I've watched all the Universal films. The Hammer films, the one-offs, the knockoffs, the Italian films, the Toho film, the live-action Disney one with the dog. Well, do I have favorites? Sure I do. I mean, I love the Universal movies for the monster. I love the Hammer films for the doctor. Something like I Was a Teenage Frankenstein thrills me in a completely different way than Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. And I could probably expound much longer than anyone really should about Al Adamson's 1971 film Dracula vs. Frankenstein. But I don't care, because darn it, that movie makes me smile as much as something like 1994's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, I just compared an Al Adamson film to a Kenneth Branagh film, and I have no franken shame about it. Now, back when I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up, I attended film school and had to take a public speaking class. Now, in it, I gave a speech in which I told the class and the instructor that there have been more films based on the story of Frankenstein than on the Bible itself. Now, I read that somewhere, but I couldn't exactly cite my source, and I didn't really ace that speech. But the point is that there are a lot of Frankenstein films. I can't claim to have seen them all. I mean, who really has? But I will say that with very rare Andy Warholian exception, I'm able to find I'm able to find something to enjoy in pretty much every Frankenstein film I've seen, or at least heard, because sometimes the music in these films is just enough to get a favorable Frankenstein reaction out of me. Frankenstein became a gateway for me to not just classic horror in general, but to other media too. Now, we moved around a few times when I was growing up, and for some reason, I ended up with a few comic books during a move from one Air Force base to another. What I knew of superheroes at the time was from Super Friends on TV and Superman in the movies with a bit of Adam West or maybe Nicholas Hammond thrown into the mix. Somehow, I ended up with a copy of Fantastic Four number 274 and had no idea what I was in for. The thing is on the cover, screaming, it's clobbering time, which I would learn later is pretty standard for the thing to be saying. But whatever, that's fun and all. What I read in the comic, though, is what blew my mind. Frankenstein's monster is in that book. Frankenstein, having adventures with superheroes. Is it hyperbole to say that my mind experienced a sort of monster-flavored paradigm shift at that point? Superheroes and monsters? I mean, sign me up. Oh, hey, speaking of monster flavors, a few years ago, I went on a rampage and went to every single store I could think of to buy boxes of Frankenberry cereal and Count Chocula and Boo Berry. And then there was that year that I did the Fruit Wolf and Yummy Mummy as well. You know, my intention was to stock up. So I had enough to get this monster kid through the year until the following Halloween when I would be able to replenish my socks. But man, huh. This monster kid did not need that much sugar, and unfortunately, some of the cereal went bad before I could get to it. I had to let some of it go, but I did keep the boxes. Now, I had a conversation with my mother the other day, actually, about the monster cereals. I didn't have them very often when I was growing up. I mean, I knew what they were, of course. The cartoon commercials aired on television, and those characters were as real to me as the characters from Super Friends. As far as actually eating the cereal, though, I had to imagine it for the most part. Despite those Crestwood House books getting a lot of action as far as my library card was concerned, I didn't have a lot of monster stuff growing up. What I had, man, I loved, but we didn't have the monster cereal on the breakfast table very often, if at all. During that conversation with my mom, she said it was probably too expensive, so that's why we didn't end up buying it very often. I suspect it probably had to do with the amount of sugar, because when I think back, my mom was fond of buying things like Cheerios and, you know, the healthy stuff. Frosted Flakes and Fruity Pebbles were also not very common breakfast cereals around our house. As an aside, the other monster thing that I remember from my childhood that I really wanted but didn't get was that game, I Want to Bite Your Finger. All right, go look it up on YouTube. The commercial will get stuck in your head. In fact, just mentioning it now has got it stuck in mind. So, moving on. It's not Frankenstein-related anyway. 
What is Frankenstein related, though, is the time that I went to a bootlegger's table at a horror hound convention several years ago and made him play the DVD copy of I Was a Teenage Frankenstein on his little monitor there because I wanted to be sure that at the end of the movie, it switches from black and white to color the way it was supposed to because I had heard there were copies out there in which whoever was doing the recording or duplication wasn't paying attention and didn't have all the right switches flipped or whatever to make sure the color recorded properly. Disclaimer. This was years before I stopped buying from and supporting bootleggers and pirates. I've learned better since then. You know, another conversation I had with my mother was about the year I dressed up as Frankenstein's monster for Halloween. Now, I used that picture as my biography picture for my listing as a guest at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival last year, and I guess they used it this year, too. And I've also incorporated it into a graphic that I use over at MonsterKidWriter.com, which as a website needs some attention, and it will. Soon. Anyway. Frankenstein's monster. My mom and I were trying to remember what year I dressed up as the monster for Halloween, and we think we narrowed it down to... Okay, actually, we really didn't. It may have been in grade school. I'm not really sure. But what I do remember is that we got a pair of black pants and a black suit jacket. We shortened the legs on the pants so I looked even taller than I was, and the suit jacket was big on me, which worked because I had a set of football pads on underneath the whole thing. Now, we created those bolts, those electrical posts, out of empty thread spools and tied them somehow to my neck. Seems to me there was some yarn involved. I don't remember that for sure, but I do remember the headpiece. I made that out of plaster strips shaped around the inner core of a child's baseball helmet and then painted it and draped a wig over on top of it. Now, I spent a lot of time staring at pictures of Jack Pierce's makeup while painting that thing, and I was able to custom fit it to the size of my own head. To complete the piece, I had a pair of old work boots, but I swapped those out for roller skates for a skating rink Halloween party, and I really, really wish there was a photo out there somewhere of me roller skating in that getup. I've always been tall, and I'm 6'4 now, and growing up, I towered over most of my fellow students. I'm sure the height is one of the things that attracted me to Frankenstein's monster. Well, that, and compared to my classmates... I had a bigger head. I mean, not monstrously huge or anything, but it was always real easy to pick my silhouette out because of the shape of my noggin. I'm sure the heavy Frankenstein flat top probably called to me for that reason, too. I seem to be referencing my mother quite a bit in all this, and it's not because I associate her with Frankenstein or any of that. It's just she's been visiting, and while we didn't get to schedule any time for her to appear on the podcast again this time around, she and I spent quite some time chatting about monsters, or at least my draw and fascination with them. Somehow, the topic of me being a big old nerd came up, and I own that now, and I love what I love with no apologies or excuses, but it did make things a little difficult growing up, and maybe part of that outsider-ness is also part of the reason why I was drawn to Karloff's monster. He didn't ask to be brought into the world, and as a military brat, it's not like I asked to transfer schools three times before hitting junior high. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. Now, I can't believe I haven't talked much about Peter Cushing here. I know some of the others brought up the Hammer films, and I've talked quite a bit about my journey into Hammerland over on 1951 Down Place. I didn't discover Hammer films until after high school. I worked at a blockbuster video because where else would a film geek work part-time in the mid-90s, and we were doing some sort of weekend promotion. I can't remember what it was for, and I can't remember the name of the radio DJ that came to cover it, but he and I started talking about monster movies. He shared my love of the Universal films, but was very surprised that I hadn't seen any of the Hammer movies. Now, he went home and came back with a handful of VHS tapes with all the Dracula and Frankenstein films on them. Now, he let me borrow those tapes, and I tore through those movies. I loved them. I watched them in order, and while the Dracula films are great, it's the Hammer Frankenstein films that get me right in the Franken feels. So good. Oh, so good. And it's because of Peter Cushing. I mean, that man was such an incredible actor, had such charisma, and was so smart in how he portrayed the Doctor. I mean, he was a bad guy in some movies more than others, but Cushing's Frankenstein wasn't exactly a good dude most of the time. Despite all that, you couldn't help but watch him. He mesmerized me. He wouldn't let me look away. And he kind of made me not really enjoy the horror of Frankenstein all that much since that was the one Hammer Frankenstein film he wasn't in. Now, I've softened on that one a bit over the years, but it's still not my favorite. I need to make a point of watching the Route 66 episode featuring Karloff, Cheney, and Peter Lorre, just so that I can say I've finally seen all of Karloff's takes on the monster. I have seen the Lon Chaney as Frankenstein episode of Tales of Tomorrow, though, a few times. Was he really drunk in that? I, I don't know. And I honestly 
don't care. The design of the monster in that is certainly unique enough to warrant a viewing, and Chaney still has plenty of gas left in the performance tank, especially when he's interacting with the child actor. I keep meaning to go back and rewatch the 1997 TV miniseries House of Frankenstein. I don't remember liking it very much, but the music is on my iPod, so there's that. And the music from the aforementioned Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is some of Patrick Doyle's most beautiful. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I know it has its fans. I'm honestly a bit lukewarm on De Niro's performance as the monster, but I did enjoy John Cleese's dramatic turn in the movie. What I remember most about that movie, though, aside from the music, is that there was this one day in 1994 that I was walking in the mall, probably to my job at Real Collections, which was a kind of sort of Suncoast movie kind of place where I also worked because film geek. Anyway, I walked past the Walden Books bookstore and saw a display for the novelization of the movie Mary Shelley's Frankenstein sitting there in the window. But it had another author's name on it. I don't know much about this Lenore Fleischer, but apparently Fleischer's done quite a few movie novelizations or tie-ins. But for a movie that was touting itself as being a more true-to-the-source material version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein than ever before, to have a novelization written by someone else on the book racks? That just seemed wrong to me. I didn't buy that book, but I've got a few copies of Mary Shelley's novel around here somewhere. I keep meaning to go back and reread it. I've watched a lot of the movies. I've listened to a number of audio productions of the story. The Willamette Radio Workshop produced a fantastic version of Frankenstein a few years ago. And I keep finding more books to read for the first time, like that Fred Saberhagen book that Rod mentioned, The Frankenstein Papers. Or books to reread, like Fit for a Frankenstein by Paul McComas and Greg Starrett. And the upcoming anthology, Eternal Frankenstein, I've already put in my pre-order. Until that book comes out next month, though, I've got plenty of movies to watch in the meantime. Some old favorites and some new-to-me ones to watch as well. And whether Frankenstein Day was at the end of August or doesn't hit until October, it seems to me that it's the perfect time of year to celebrate all things Frankenstein. And after all of that, I didn't even mention the one year that my wife and I went to a Halloween party. She dressed up as the Bride of Frankenstein and me as a Dr. Frankenstein type. Her costume was a lot more successful than mine. In fact, she won the costume contest that year for Best Female Costume. And if you dig deep enough, probably on my personal Facebook page, you might even be able to find a picture of her done up as the bride. It was pretty cool. All right, I want to thank everybody for participating in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. But most importantly, I want to thank you guys and gals for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I know it's a little outside the norm, and that's just, you know, got to change it up every once in a while, keep things a little fresh here on the podcast. So thanks for sticking around, and I hope you dug it. Now, next week on Monster Kid Radio, we have a couple of different ways we can go. I am going to Rose City Comic Con next weekend. I guess, actually, by the time you hear this, it'll be this upcoming weekend. Now, it's happening all weekend here in Portland, Oregon. I'm only going to be going on the 10th, which is Saturday. Now, I'll be the tall guy, kind of Frankenstein-looking, maybe. Okay, not really. I'll be wearing a Monster Kid Radio shirt and probably be smiling a lot more than Karloff's monster ever did. But you can't miss me because I'll be running around there with my portable recorder in one hand and my friend Tom Doffel in the other. That sounded really weird. But Tom Doffel will actually be with me as well. He's the guy who built the computer here at Monster Kid Radio. He's been on the show in the past. I know a number of previous podcast guests will be there. Keith Foster, Kyle Yount, they're going to be there. They have a table set up. Kaiju Cast and Kadoja combining forces. They're going to be there. Tad Galusha will be there. He's the artist that's been on the show in the past. I hope to run into him again with my recorder. I know Sean Hode will be there as well. You know, it's going to be a good time, and I'm hoping I can get enough content for an entire show of the podcast. Also, in the works right now, I'm planning a three-way conversation with Stephen D. Sullivan, Michael Leggy, and myself talking about the werewolf of london and maybe some other werewolf movies we're trying to firm that up so very fingers crossed that we can make our schedules line up and we can make that happen i've got a lot planned for the rest of the year and you'll be able to find out about it if you follow us over on facebook now we have both a facebook group and a facebook page you can join the group you can like the page this is where i'm going to make most announcements but a lot of these announcements will also turn up on our website monster kid radio net. There's links to everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over here and our contact information there as well. So if you have any thoughts, comments, anything that you want to share about Frankenstein films or anything else we've talked about on the previous 283 episodes of the podcast, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503 
MKR. Of course, there's links to every band that's appeared here on the show as well. So if you want to check out Mingo Music's Bandcamp page, well, you'll find the link right here. We are getting closer and closer to October, or as I call it, 31 days of Halloween. Okay, actually, Halloween lasts about 365 days around here, sometimes 366, depending. But you know what? October's on the way. I've already started to see some of the Halloween decorations in places like Target and Home Depot and Michael's. I mean, Halloween stuff is starting to pop up. And I know some people might think that's a little early, but you know what? I'll take it. I love it. This is my time of year and I want to do something special on Monster Kid Radio. I'm not sure what yet though. So if you have any suggestions, well, email me or give me a call. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to this song. Of course, it doesn't apply to this version of the theme song from The Monsters. It's just called Monsters on the album OK Bones. It's from the band Mingo Music. Again, check them out at Mingo Music, and that's music with a K at the end, dot bandcamp.com. Check out the album. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 